Hello, and welcome to Field Notes, the weekly podcast of the Military Fellowship Center in Jacksonville, North Carolina, serving Marines stationed at Cap Lejeune and surrounding areas. Military Fellowship Center is a ministry of Military Evangelism Incorporated. Our speaker and host for the program is Dave Mason, the General Director of Military Evangelism and the Field Director at Jacksonville. Visit us on the web at militaryfellowshipministry.com or email us at militaryfellowshipctr at gmail.com. Now, here's Dave Mason. Welcome back to Field Notes. Today we begin our look at John chapter 7. 7 and 8 of John take place during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, there were seven feasts or celebrations that the Lord commanded Israel to keep. Four of them happened in the springtime. Passover, which we see today as a type of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, which represents Christ taking our sins away and giving us life-sustaining bread. The Feast of first fruits, which symbolizes that Jesus is the first resurrected among many. And finally, in the spring, the Feast of Pentecost, which represents, we know today, the coming of the Holy Spirit. In the fall, there were four more or three more feasts observed. There was trumpets, which represents an undetermined length of time between redemption and regathering. There was the Feast of Atonement, which represents the full deliverance, which we'll see as the return of the Lord. And finally, tabernacles, which was a memorial, or looking backward and looking forward celebration, much like our Lord's Supper. This week, as we look at uh, John chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, we see Jesus' family preparing to go to Jerusalem for the feast. And a few truly believed that he was Christ, but not all, just like today. John chapter 7, verse number 1, After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. His brethren, his brothers and sisters, therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that does anything in secret, and he himself seeks to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Verse number 5, For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. Go up to this feast. I will not go yet up to the feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity through podcasts, through the internet, to be able to speak to folks all over the world. And thank you for all those that are listening right now and studying along with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, after these things, after 18 months of his three-year ministry is spent among the Gentiles, he stays away from Judea and, Judea and Jerusalem because the, because the Jews sought to kill him ever since... He healed the man at the pool of Bethesda in John five sixteen through 18. The Jewish leaders have been trying to get a hold of him, arrest him, and kill him. And so we see that much of, at least half of Jesus' ministry is spent among Gentiles, away from Judea, away from Jerusalem. Because only the leader of, leaders of the Jews wanted him dead. 
the common people loved him. They loved to hear the speak, hear him speak the things of God. Mark thir- uh, twelve thirty seven says the common people heard him gladly. He didn't stay away from Jerusalem because he was scared. You know, his brothers and sisters saying, go, 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 go. And he knows that if he goes, the Jews are going to try to kill him. But he's not staying away because he's scared. He was just wise to their intentions. He knew when his time and place to die would be. And there's a lesson in that for us, folks. We are not to flaunt ourselves and purposely put ourselves in danger because that is foolish. That is tempting the Lord our God. When Jesus was taken to the height of the temple and told to throw himself off by a Satan and God would catch him, he said, you should not tempt the Lord your God. We're not supposed to flaunt ourselves. We're not supposed to put ourselves purposely in danger expecting God to, to deliver us. We're not allowed to tempt him with our lives. Matthew 4, 7, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 2, now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, this was really the biggest celebration of the year for the Jews. And to know more about it will help us understand this whole chapter a little bit more. So, let's jump back in our Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23, starting at verse number 34. You've got it? Speak unto the children of Israel. This is Leviticus 23, 34. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And on the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you. And you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. And you shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts of the Lord. Verse 37, Leviticus 23, 37. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to be an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, a meat offering, a sacrifice, and drink offerings, everything upon his day. Besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, and beside your gifts, and beside all your vows, and beside your freewill offerings, which you shall give to the Lord. So this is even more. And on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, verse 39, you, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land... You shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. And on the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath as well. And you shall take you on the first day of the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It will be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. And you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths, that your generation may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. And so here we see in the feast of this feast um, that this is a um, the feast of tabernacles is a representation of the deliverance and the provision of the Lord. The, the Jews would make these booths out of palm branches and things. They would live in these little booths representing the tents that they lived in while they wandered the, in the wilderness for 40 years. And God delivered them and kept them warm at night and safe with a pillar of fire and cool in the day uh, with a pillar of cloud. 
and and they they made these temple these pillars and and giant torches would be lit in the temple to represent that pillar of fire that guided them in the night. And every day the Jews would take water from the pool of Siloam and pour it onto the altar in the temple, remembering the water that God provided from the rock that Moses struck. And so again, this feast is typical of what we today use the Lord's Supper for. It's a means of remembrance and a looking forward to the ultimate time of redemption. John 7, 3, His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that does anything in secret, and he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, For neither did his brethren believe in him. What we have here is a mocking family. Persecution, even a mocking attitude from others, is natural and to be expected for those following the one true God. You say, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't want to be made fun of. Well, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to lead Christ-like, if you're going to live a life for Christ, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be mocked. People are not going to like you. In, in, in the public square today, we are the ones that are the most reviled. I mean, Christianity is the only religion, it seems, where you can openly... Um, <laughs> you can openly persecute us and, and say horrible things about us, and you get away with it in the court of public opinion, because we're just the whipping boys for this society today. And that's not something new. That's been going on for centuries, millennia. It's just that with our media today, it becomes more and more obvious. We have these Coptic Christians in, in the Middle East being beheaded by terrorist groups. We have um, um, uh, Christians being jailed in Middle Eastern countries just for proclaiming the name of Christ. Those things are going to happen. And the little bit of persecution we, in, we incur here in this Western part of the world is nothing compared to what Christians throughout the centuries and what Christians in the Middle East today are enduring. Philippians one twenty eight twenty nine and in nothing be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it's given in the behalf of in the behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him but also to suffer for His sake. So Paul saying, listen, don't be afraid by by people persecuting you. To the people persecuting you, that's an evident token that you're wrong, that you're in bad shape. But to you, that's an evident token of your salvation and of God, because it's been given to you. It's, been a, it's a gift given to every Christian to not only believe in Jesus, but to suffer for His sake. He suffered. We're supposed to be Christ-like, and so we suffer. But look here, Jesus, His suffering comes from His own family. His brothers and His sisters, what are they trying to prove? What they're doing is they're trying to get Jesus to do what a lot of folks in church today try to get the preacher to do, and that is follow the world's pattern for success. Look, get a big crowd together, wow them with your miracles, and then you'll get back all the people you just ran off with your preaching. Remember John 6.66? Most of the people, just about all but the twelve, left after Jesus preached some very hard things. And his brothers and sisters are going, just get a crowd together. Wow, do some of your miracles and you'll get all that crowd back. Prove yourself, Jesus. And that attitude among his brethren was, it was prophesied. Psalm 69, centuries before they did this, Psalm 69, verse 4, 
They that hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. Verse 8, I have become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. Great Messianic Psalm, Psalm 69. And the psalmist knew that the Messiah would suffer persecution even at the hands of his own family. His brothers and his sisters look at Jesus and go, What's the big secret? Don't, don't hide yourself. Go to the feast. Go. The world's always wanting to accuse us. Even when another falls, we have to pay for it. When somebody in another denomination falls, you still pay for it, don't you? Because people lump us all into the same group. Whether you are completely different from that uh, person who fell theologically, it doesn't matter to the world. You call yourself a Christian, then you are the same as that person who did something horrible. But I tell you the truth, it's wounds from a relative or a close friend that always hurt the most. Psalm 55, verse 12, It was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have bore it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my guide, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. Those are the wounds that hurt the most. I want you to note the word here, neither. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Many, many people during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ doubted him, questioned him, and outright rejected him while he stood before them in the flesh. And so why are we so surprised when men and women reject him today? Verse 6, Then Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come. Your time is always ready, though. The world can't hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that the works of the world are evil. Your time's always ready, my brothers and sisters. And remember, he's talking to his relatives here. Your time's always ready. You, 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 if you want to believe, believe now. It's not my time to be publicly presented. But if you want to publicly present me, if you want to get out there in the open and tell people who I am, go. You got to remember, he's talking to his brother. It's hard to talk to your relations. Often, when we're brutally honest, we hurt people. But if the honesty that we speak comes from the Bible, well, we really don't have any choice, even if it's family. Growing up, my dad had a saying, and I've, I've repeated this years and years and years later, and it was this. We had, we had a rough time with our family growing up. It wasn't always fun with the relationships. You had your in-laws and your outlaws and, and your close cousins and such and, and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, and, and it wasn't always a good, you know, you've probably got the same sort of family. We all do. We all have trouble in our families. And my dad always said this to me when I was growing up. The truth is more important than even family. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And so... When you have those hard times with your family, understand you're not alone. Because Jesus understood who was really mocking him. It wasn't his relatives that were mocking him. It was his unsaved relatives, God, who was the devil. 
because evil's always been in the world and will always be here to the consummation of all things. Your time's always ready. The world can't hate you. You're part of the world. You're in the world. And if you're not of me, you're of the devil. That's all there is to it. That's what Jesus is teaching. You're either for me or against me. There's no standing on a fence with Jesus Christ. So he understands it's not really them mocking him. It's the devil. It's always time for evil. Until Jesus returns and takes us out and recreates this world and, and sets up his millennial kingdom. And even then, till the end of the millennial kingdom, we've, we've got to get into eternally before evil is finally completely crushed once and for all. It's always time for evil, folks. And godly things must operate inside of this understanding and take the opportunities that come. Whatever program you're working at your church, whatever outreach ministry you're doing, understand it's always time for evil. You're always going to have the presence of evil. And you're just going to have to face it and work with it. Jesus says, the world, well, the world can't hate you. You gotta understand something. The, the the world system works best for its own. Doesn't it seem sometimes like the ungodly always have everything working for them? Well, it's the truth. They do. the The folks that that don't love God, that don't care for Him, they seem to have the best jobs. They seem to make the most money. They seem to have the best health. They seem to have everything. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes it seems that way to us. Many times. Well, it's their time right now, but God has His time. Waiting for them. Jeremiah 12, verse 1. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the wicked way the wicked prosper? Why do the wicked prosper, God? Why are they all happy that they deal very treacherously? You have planted them. Yea, they have taken root. They grow. Yeah, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. But thou, O Lord, knows me. Thou hast seen me and tried my heart towards thee. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Prepare them for the day of slaughter. Ooh, Jeremiah is mad there, isn't he? Hop forward to verse 12 of chapter 12. The spoilers are come upon all the high places through the wilderness, for the sword of the Lord shall devour from one end of the land to the other of the land. No flesh shall have peace. They have sown wheat, but shall reap thorns. They have put themselves to pain, but shall not profit. They shall be ashamed of your revenues because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, against all mine enemies, all mine evil neighbors that touch the inheritance which I have caused my people of Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them out of their land and pluck out the house of Judah from among them. And it shall come to pass that after I have plucked them out, I will return and have compassion on them. And I will bring them again. Every man to his heritage and every man to his land. And it shall come to pass that if they will diligently learn the ways of my people to swear by my name, the Lord liveth, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall build in the midst of my people. But if they will not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, saith the Lord. God says, quit worrying about the fact that there's evil in this world. There's evil in this world. I'm going to deal with them. And I'm going to deal with them in this way. I'm going to give them every possible chance to repent. And when it's, there's no possible way for them to repent, when they've gone way past the point where they're going to repent, then I will utterly pick up and destroy them. I'll, 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 I'll pluck them out of their land and I'll destroy them then. But I'm going to give them every chance I can to, to repent and come to me. 
Jeremiah complains and the Lord answers. Remember, the world hates you because it hates Jesus. People are convicted by Jesus. You ever talk to somebody about God and they're fine until you bring up the name Jesus? The minute you say the name Jesus, suddenly they get offended, don't they? John fifteen eighteen, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. Because you're not of the world, though, because I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Hey, listen, Christianity is the only faith system in the entire world that says man is basically evil. Every other faith system says man's basically good, and we just have to find our way back to God. Christianity is the only faith system that says, no, 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 man, man is born in sin. Man is basically evil. Man cannot come to God on his own, so God came to man. Mark seven twenty one. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. All that's within us at birth. That's why the world doesn't like us. That's why the world hates us. Because we admit to what we are, and by admitting to what we are, we're also pointing to what they are. Because we're the same. If you're a child of God, you're no better than the bum on the street. You're no better than the criminal in the jail. You're no better than the politician on the television lying. You're no better than any of them. You just happen to have found the way. That's what the early Christians were called, weren't they? Those that were of the way, you found the way, and God graciously saved your soul. But you're no better than anyone else. Jesus is trying to teach his brothers and sisters this. So he says in verse 8, Go up to the feast. You go up. I'm not going to go up to the feast yet, for my time is not yet full come. When he said these words to them, he abode still in Galilee. He stayed. So he says, look, I have to wait, but you can go. If you want to go, go. Matter of fact, it's a good thing if you go. It's the feast. You should go to the feast. It was commanded you know, by the Lord through Moses and Leviticus. You should go. It's just not my time. And so here's our last lesson from Jesus this week. One that we all need to learn. It's this. A simple four-letter word. W-A-I-T. Wait. Jesus knew about patience. He did nothing before its time. James 1, 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. Let patience, though, have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, and wanting nothing. We need to learn to be patient, folks. Our time will come, if we wait. Thanks for listening this week. Until next time, I'm Dave Mason. Thank you for joining us for Field Notes. If you have been blessed by the preaching and teaching you have heard, consider visiting our website at militaryfellowshipministry.com and click the Donate button. Any amount will be a great help to us as we continue to reach our men and women in the military with the gospel. Join us next week as we continue our study of God's Word. God bless you.